Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to Generations Church Podcast. We are in our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, exploring the themes and modern-day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Hello, everybody. My name is Scotty Hines. I'm a pastor at Generations Church. Alongside of me is my co-laborer of the gospel, Pastor Jeff Ludington, lead pastor, Generations Church. Morning, Good morning. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Jinx, you owe me. Yeah, right. See? All <laughs> right. And we're now we're starting off on the same page. I love it. We have officially become little kids all of a sudden. Nice. Hey, man, thanks for joining me. Uh, for those of you that are following along on the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude series, uh, started this series with Pastor Vinny, a uh, longtime friend, pastor, uh, again, co-laborer in the gospel. And so he has taken a lead pastor call. We've said this a lot. He is driving right now out to Meridian, Idaho, where he will take on the lead pastor role starting on the 1st of November. And so I've asked you, Pastor Scott, I've asked you to jump in and fill that co-host chair. And so thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome, man. It is my privilege and honor to be here. I'm looking forward to the opportunities presented me here. So thank you. Thanks, man. So here's where we've been. We are doing a series through the Heidelberg Catechism, a 450-year-old catechism. We're doing this because truth is truth, right? So we believe that the catechism represents what Scripture says to us. Now, we're very clear the Bible is the authority in our life. Absolutely. A catechism or creeds or anything else is subject to the Bible. It's only as true as it proves the Bible to be true. The Bible always is the authority. We're going to pick up on what the catechism calls, Lord, calls Lord's Day 8, which we're just calling Week 8, right? So if you're just tuning in, I would highly encourage you to go back and listen to the episodes prior to this. But each Lord's Day is a Sunday, if you will, and it's a week-long study in the catechism. This is something that parents used to do with their children. And so we're going to do this like a father would with a son or like a discipler would with a disciple. And so this was memorized questions and answers that we would memorize truth. I love using the example of times tables. When I was taught math in school, I was told to memorize my times tables. So now when you ask me, what is six times seven? I go 42. I answer that question, yeah. not because I do math, but because I have it memorized. Absolutely. And so that's what we're doing. Now, this week picks up on a theme from last week. It's first question, and we'll, we'll get to the question and answer in just a second, but the first question says, how are these articles divided? Now, if you're just listening today, again, I would encourage you to go backwards, but the articles being talked about are in the Apostles' Creed, something that's roughly 16, 1700 years old that the church has been repeating, a creed or a confession of faith. And it really breaks that creed into three parts, which we will explore in our catechism study here. So, uh, if all that makes sense, we're going to pick up on Lord's Day 8 or week 8 in our study. We're going to ask two questions that have two memorized answers. I'm going to ask the question. Pastor Scott is going to answer again like a father to a son, like a disciple to a, uh, like a discipler or teacher to a disciple. Got it. So, question 24 says this, how are these articles divided? Into three parts. The first concerns God the Father, and our creation. The second, God, the Son, and our redemption. And the third, God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. Question 25. Since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because that is how God is revealed in God's own word. These three distinct persons are one true eternal God. You know, there's uh, something 
about these questions and answers that I really find uh, compelling. When I ask a question of you, uh, since there's only one divine being, why do you speak of three? Notice I'm asking, why do you, right? And then your answer is always in the uh, personal, right? We don't say that so much in this one. You're just answering truth, but I believe, or mm. it's, it's written as a, hey, I'm asking you a question, really, and you're answering as if it is true for you. And so when I ask you, how are these articles divided? Or since there's only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I want all our listeners to know, as we do this, we are, we are internalizing. This is our personal faith. Absolutely, yeah. So the answer gives us three parts. Now remember, the question is reflecting back to last week. It's really saying, well, what is the Apostles' Creed broken into, or what are the articles Right? Or what are the main categories? And the Apostles' Creed talk about God the Father, creator of heaven, or Jesus Christ the Son, and it lists off several things that, that are true about Jesus, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, etc., you know, things like that. And then the Holy Spirit. Well, this has now given us some further categories. So now our three categories are God the Father and our creation, God the Son and our deliverance, God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. What do, you, what do you hear when you hear all that? Man, I hear um, heavy truth. Okay. Uh, and it kind of leads me to a question that I have for you. Like, uh, do you think struggling with the concept of the Trinity is acceptable? It seems a lot of Christians get discouraged because they either, A, they can't comprehend it, or B, they can't explain it. Mm, that's good. There's language we use about the Trinity. Uh, there's a couple words. One is mystery, and, and one is paradox. Uh, mystery, I think we understand. It's a, it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, I always use the language of this. If you could fully understand it, right? If you could fully grasp or contain God, you would be God. Yeah, exactly. Or you would be equal to God, right? So there has to be a bit of mystery about God, right? We're human. We're limited. We're finite. And we're asking questions about the infinite God, but paradox, let me give you paradox here. It, here's the definition right, right out of, well, I, I don't know if this is Webster's. It's, it's <laughs> off my MacBook. So anyhow, paradox, a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated or explained may prove to be well-founded or true. So a paradox is something that seems not true or seems contradictory. And that's what the Trinity is. One God, three persons. Yeah. Seems contradictory. Yeah. But when explored more, proves to be true. Absolutely. Your question is a great question. Is it acceptable for Christians to struggle with the doctrine of the Trinity? And, and then you, you talk about a discouragement. Well, it's always acceptable to struggle with something, right? If struggle means this, contend, like, hey, I'm going to grapple with this topic. I'm going to try and understand it to the best of my ability. But if struggle means I don't believe it, and until I can understand every facet of it, I'm not going to adhere to it, uh, then I'd say there's probably a challenge there. And that's just true of pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's good to have that approach with Scripture. Like, you believe it, but you wrestle with the comprehension of it. Yeah. it, it your faith becomes more ingrained inside of you when you wrestle these truths yeah. through. And, 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 you know, you believe the mystery and accept the mystery. Yeah. So... And I want to I, I I say something about that. 
I think sometimes Christianity gets the uh, the rap of like anti-science or anti-intellect, which yeah. I would say it's anything but, right? However, when we say accepting a mystery or a paradox does not mean blindly accepting it. It means we've grappled with it. We've wrestled yes. with it. Two, uh, two images come to mind. I said grappled and wrestled, and I think of one biblical, right? So, uh, <laughs> right, we think of Jacob who wrestles with God, right? Yeah. And it leaves him limping, literally, yeah. right? But he truly wrestles with God. That's the moment, really, where we see him become Israel. The, you know, Israel really is defined as governed by God. We yeah. see Jacob, which uh, means heel catcher, became a, a phrase meaning like con artist, because yep. that's yep. basically how he started out. And I say that with no... No ill intent, man. I started out pretty rough. You started out pretty yeah, rough. Absolutely. So we, we follow a God who changes people, right? Uh, but he goes from being this con artist to a guy who is governed by God. Yeah. And he does so by wrestling. The other term I use is grapple. And you and I both have uh, a love for grappling, jujitsu, martial arts, uh, that kind of thing. And really just imagine this. Imagine you walked into uh, Brazilian jujitsu dojo, you were going to go in and study, but you're like, hey, check it out. So um, until I understand everything, I'm not going to do it. What you're saying is until I'm a black belt in my head, <laughs> I'm not going to wa walk in and put on a white belt. Yeah, that's a good analogy. You know, I think we have to accept our limitations of understanding. And maybe our limitations are today, I don't understand it, but I'm going to grapple with it, wrestle with it, study it. Man, I'm going to push and pull because God's word, man, God is strong enough for us to push and pull, right? We, he, he desires us to not only worship him with our efforts and our, and our hearts, but with our minds, he says, yeah, well, He right? says, love him with all our soul and strength. Strength right. is one of them. So. Yeah, and mind, yeah. right? So uh, here we are, mystery and paradox. If there is one God, right, which Deuteronomy 6, 4, the, the famous Israel Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So we have for sure a truth. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? So one God. Yeah. But then we get things like Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where it says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, or Paul's blessing to the Corinthians, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we have these passages that give us, right, these three persons of God. And so we get to see this, right? We get to, we get to hear it, but again, paradox, seemingly contradictory. It's one God, three persons, says, now when, they were, when people were being baptized, says Jesus had also been baptized, Luke 3, the heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form, like a dove, not in a dove, like a dove, in bodily form, and the voice, a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. You know, as you read those three um, passages, you see the Trinity spoken of mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, in the individuals, right? How do you see uh, the Trinity in Scripture, or where do you see it? Yeah. So definitely, I think, clear pictures, like Luke 3, the baptism of Jesus. Jesus goes into the water, comes mm. up out of the water. We have Jesus there in bodily form. Now, we have to ask a question. Is Jesus God? And we can, we can answer that, right? Uh, there's God the Father who speaks, this is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descends, bodily descends, 
right? Yeah. They say like a dove, not in a dove. I know the dove becomes a symbol of the Holy Spirit, but because of this verse, right? So we see all three things happening, all three persons. So if we see three persons, can we reconcile that to hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So are they the same? And so we have to ask a little bit deeper question because we have to come up with one thing. Either the Holy Spirit is a force, like the force, you know, of the Jedi. It's either a power <laughs> or, you know, not a person or Jesus is not God or Jesus is another God, yeah. right? And a separate from God, the Father, separate from Yahweh, Elohim, Jehovah, whatever you want to call him, right? So we have to go to scripture. And we have to ask different questions. My favorite is Genesis 1. It starts off, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in the beginning, God, yeah. right? God, we'll accept that as God the Father, right? In the beginning, God the Father created the heavens and the earth. Then it goes on, verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So now we have the Spirit of God, otherwise known as the Holy Spirit, right? So now we've got God, God the Father, we've got the Holy Spirit, and verse 3, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, it's, the, it, it's subtle, but it says, and God said, right? So what we get is the word of God. Now, that may seem less important at this point, but fast forward now to the gospels, right? John 1, John's gospel opens up, and John's emphasis really is proving that Jesus is God. That's, he says that in the beginning, yeah. he says that in the end. Like that's his, he's writing to do this, right? Yeah, so yeah. here's how John begins. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He, the word is a he now, it's a person. Mm. So we've got God the Father, we've got the Holy Spirit and we've got the word that's a person, right? He was in the beginning with God. Verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made. In him, again, a person was life and the life was the light of men. It goes on, if you fast forward about five verses in verse nine of John one, it says the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He, meaning the light, right? He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So now we're clearly talking about Jesus. Absolutely. Jesus is the word of God became flesh. He is the light of life, the true light that entered into the world. The world didn't understand, the world didn't recognize him, right? But it says, but all, to all who receive him and believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And then it, I think the linchpin, John 1 verses 14 and 18. 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father full of grace and truth. So clearly now we're talking about the son of God. So yeah. we've got God, the father, God, the Holy spirit, God, the son. Verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. So now we get something we get to, we get to hang on to. No one has seen God which, by the way, opens up lots of question and questions that we can talk about in the Old Testament. Yeah, right. When God enters into human history, Isaiah 6, when mm. I saw the Lord seated on the throne, well, that's because he's seeing Jesus, right? That's for another day. We'll get there probably in our Christology section, but no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus makes God known to us. Why is the doctrine of the Trinity so important when talking about the catechism and modern-day themes, you know, modern-day issues we deal with? Yeah, so that's good. Something 450 years old has to be relevant today. Yeah. Right? It has to make sense to us. So 
if we're just talking about the Trinity, then we're talking about a theological doctrine. Now, there's a few reasons why that's important. But a lot of times, you just said this earlier, Christians struggle with it. They don't understand it. They're not sure how to defend it. When their Mormon buddy or their atheist buddy asks them, they don't really know where to go. And so, yeah, we've given some passages, Genesis 1, John 1, you know, the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one, a Trinitarian blessing in Corinthians by Paul. So we have some of that stuff, you know, baptism in the name of all three. Yeah. But why? Why is this important? Let me, let me give you, there's two things I think that are, that are super important. Uh, one is what we were just talking about. Hebrews 1 says this, verses 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our, to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So he raises, God, this author raises not only Jesus to being the son of God, but raises him to the level of he shows us God, right? Yeah. So if there was no Trinity, if it was just God the Father, if Jesus was something other, if the Holy Spirit was something other, we would not be able to see God. But in Christ, we get to see God. And so there's, there's this revelatory peace, God revealing himself. There's a few other things, really, and, and, and really they hover around Jesus. In the first few hundred years of the church, the first thing that came under attack, or one of the first major things that came under attack was the personhood of Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Right? Arianism. Arius in the fourth century, third century, fourth century, said Jesus was created, right? God created Jesus like a father creates a son. Yeah, that came out in the fourth century, but right. Paul was dealing with uh, Christ coming in the flesh in the first century. Right. Colossians 1.15, he says that he is the image of the invisible God. Right. And I think even um, in the book of First John, man, he makes a, a, a very outspoken claims by this you know the spirit of god that every spirit that confessed jesus christ has come in the flesh right is from right. it's pretty definitive i mean that is it is so if we look at this the the heresies or the false teachings the false doctrines that come out of that century the 300s right we've got jesus was created we've got that god the father god the holy spirit and god the son are different not one God, but different. We've also got modalism, which is uh, uh, an easy name. Sabellianism was the other name for it. But modalism, like God has modes. Like God the Father in the Old Testament was God the Father. Yeah. And then God became God the Son in the, bapt in, in the, in the, in the incarnation and the baptism and all that part of Jesus when he was on earth. And then when Jesus ascends, we have God the Holy Spirit today. And so a lot of people uh, have that still to this day. There's a lot of uh, Pentecostal churches that believe in that. And they call that modalism. The problem is what happens when you see Jesus being baptized and Jesus is there in the water and the Holy Spirit descends bodily and God speaks from heaven. You have all three at once. Yeah, you have right? a contradiction to their position. So again, you ask the question, why is this for a modern theme? See, these are all modern day problems in the church, right? Uh, Jehovah's Witness believe that Jesus was created, born, human, not God, yeah. right? Mormons believe that Jesus is now divine, but is not the same as God the Father, yeah. right? So we have all these things. Like you said, Paul was dealing with them in the first century. We see these massive attacks on the church in the fourth century, right? 300 years later, we see them attacking the church all around the personhood of Christ. Let me give you two more quick things that make it relevant today. The Trinity, uh, two or three, it depends on what we have time for, but the Trinity gives us a beautiful picture of community, 
how to relate with one another. Oh, I love that. Right? But it also, uh, so that shows us unity, community, love, being together, right? But it also shows us diversity. Each person, right? God the Father has a role. You know, God ordains. You know, Jesus, the Son, he has a role. He accomplishes, right? The Holy Spirit has a role. He applies the yeah. gospel. So God ordains, Jesus accomplishes, the Holy Spirit applies. We also, and this is probably one of my favorite things, is we get to see what one equal deferring to another equal looks like, right? First Corinthians uh, 11.3 says, but I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So before people just grenade and say this is whatever this is, right? It says that the head of Christ is God. So they're equal, co-equal, equally that. God, yet Jesus says he defers to the Father, right? In marriage and in the church, we believe that men are uniquely called to lead, right? And this isn't like heavy-handed, top-down, you do everything I say. It's servant leadership, yeah. right? No, absolutely. As God loves Jesus, so we are to love our wives. As, 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 God, as Jesus submits to the Father, we get to submit to one another, right? Whether that be in the church, whether it be male, female, whatever it is. We get to see this beautiful picture of the, the doctrine is called deference, but deferring to one another out of love for Jesus. Yeah. Well, that's some good stuff, Pastor Jeff. Um, very good job. I hope you all were blessed by that. Thank you for listening to Generations Church Podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. And please give it a share and or write a review wherever podcasts are found. Once again, thank you all. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church. G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at Gin Family Church.